0: I share what I've done in my own life to declutter, organize, and calm the chaos, but you won't just hear it from me. There are amazing guests too. It's practical, doable, and simple for those of us that want to be clutter-free. You know how life doesn't stick to a schedule? Well, why should your paycheck? That's where EarnIn comes in. It's an app that lets you access the money you've earned right when you need it, not just on payday. When you download the Earnin app, type in clutter under podcast when you sign up. It'll really help out the show. That's clutter under podcast. Earnin is a financial technology company, not a bank. Subject to your available earnings, daily max, pay period max, and location. See earnin.com TOS for details. Bank products are issued by Evolve Bank & Trust, member FDIC. You're listening to Wannabe Minimalist with Deanna Yates, episode number 130. On today's episode, I'm chatting with Risa Williams, a licensed therapist and time management expert, about how we can be more productive and less stressed in our daily lives. If you struggle to get through your day stress-free, we'll give today's episode a listen. Hey there, my wannabe minimalist friend. Welcome back to the show. This time of year is a bit of a conundrum for me, and I know I am not alone. I want to wind down things at work so that I have time to decompress and recharge before heading into one of my busiest work seasons. But the problem is that there's a lot going on personally with school functions, travel, decorating, holiday festivities, parties to attend, gifts to purchase, and I mean everything else that we put on our plates from November to December. And that is why I am so happy to be chatting with my guest Risa today. She's got so many nuggets of wisdom to share, and you'll soon hear that we share a lot of the same philosophies, so I think you'll really enjoy this episode. But before we get into our conversation, I just want to say thank you for joining me today. I appreciate that you are here, and I hope you walk away from today with some actionable ideas for your life. If you enjoy what you hear, can you please do me a favor and leave me a rating or a review? You can rate the show in Apple Podcasts or in Spotify. Spotify but we'll only be able to leave the review in Apple. So if you have an iPhone, I would love it if you could take a minute to give the show a shout out. Your reviews are what helped me reach more listeners and get more amazing guests on this show for you. So thank you very much. And now let's learn about my amazing guest. Risa Williams is a book author, licensed therapist and time management coach. She's the author of the self-help book series, The Ultimate Toolkits for Psychological Well-Being, which includes The Ultimate Anxiety Toolkit, The Ultimate Self-Esteem Toolkit, and The Ultimate Time Management Toolkit. She's also the host of the Motivation Mindset Podcast, which features productivity tools. She's been featured in Forbes Magazine, Business Insider, Parade Magazine, Real Simple, Wired Magazine, and HuffPost, and she writes articles for Breathe Magazine. Give this episode a listen, and when you're done, head over to wannabeclutterfree.com slash 130 to get the show notes for today's episode with links to Risa's website, her books, and more. Again, you can find it all at wannabeclutterfree.com forward slash the number 130. And now, let's get to our conversation. Well, hi, Risa. Thank you so much for joining me today on Wannabe Minimalist.
1: Sure. Thanks for having me. I'm happy to be here.
0: Of course. How are you doing today?
1: I'm great. Thanks. I'm looking forward to talking about minimalism and time management with you. I think they go together well.
0: I do, too. I do, too. So I'm really excited that you joined us on today's show. And so why don't you tell me and my listeners a little bit more about yourself and your journey to helping what you call chronically busy people?
1: Sure. Well, I am a therapist here in Los Angeles. But I'm also a mom of two. I'm a professor and a professional writer. I've written three books, The Ultimate Time Management Toolkit, The Ultimate Anxiety Toolkit, and my newest book, The Ultimate Self-Esteem Toolkit, which is coming out in March. So I tend to focus on practical, easy-to-use tools that have a visual metaphor element so that you can remember them better. Because um, like the book title, one of my book titles, I work with a lot of chronically busy people, and that term is just something I made up to describe a wide range of people, lots of parents, lots of entrepreneurs, lots of small business owners, and creative professionals, just people from all sorts of different backgrounds who always tend to be busy. And I can relate to this because I am also a chronically busy person. Um, Most of my life, I was very, very busy. And then when I added kids to this scenario, It just became so much more busy and I was rushing around all the time and I was just plugging things in everywhere, multitasking like crazy, feeling like I was always running out of time. And at a certain point when my kids were little and I was working two jobs because I'm also a professor and I was trying to juggle my private practice with teaching, with writing, rushing kids to and fro, I just reached such an intense level of burnout where I was extremely emotionally and physically exhausted and overwhelmed. And I realized none of these systems were working. At the same time, I was also seeing a lot of other clients who were from all different professions who were having the same problems, who kept saying, I'm so burnt out. I'm so overwhelmed. I'm overworked. I'm tired all the time. I can't manage anything. I feel like my brain is freezing up and these types of things. In particular, I work with a lot of clients that have anxiety. And a lot of clients that also have adult ADHD. So time management was like a huge piece for everyone I was working with, as well as in my own life. I started to collect different tools to both help me manage my stress and my schedule and the emotional component of how do I stay on top of things, but also feel relaxed and calm so I can be a better mom for my kids so I can be present when my kids need me. And I started to collect all these tools. I started to use them in my own life. And I started to see a real improvement in how I was dealing with things, both as a mom and at work and all the different hats I wear. And I started to teach them to other people. And then eventually during the pandemic, I wrote them all into books and they all got published. So that's where it kind of started the journey. And that's where I am now. And it's an ongoing journey. I'm not perfect, you know, I do get overwhelmed sometimes still, but now I know that I have kind of a foundation and all these basic daily habits that I employ to keep the guardrails on, to keep me on track, and I know now how to reset myself in a healthier way, for sure.
0: Hmm, I love that, and I am right there with you. I am not perfect either. I mean, I don't actually really believe in perfection because I feel like once we get to that, it's like a step, right? It's a journey. And once we get to that next step, we realize, oh, what I thought wasn't possible before is possible. And now I want to keep going because life is all about growing. So and
1: change and (laughs) flexibility and learning and growing. And I think if lifelong learning is a value that's important to you, It allows you to go a little easier on yourself and give yourself more compassion and kindness along the way as you're figuring new things out for yourself.
0: Oh, I really like that. Lifelong learning is a big thing for me. My husband and I talk about that all the time, about how, yeah, we don't want to stop learning because I think there's so much information in this world to, you know, so many places to go and things to see and and things to learn. But I haven't heard of it. I haven't really thought about it that way from the self-compassion um, side as well. That if you are willing to continue learning, you understand it's a journey and that you can maybe give yourself a little more slack. So, like,
1: exactly. And you give yourself room right to grow. Nuggets. <laughs> <laughs> I like to fire away at them. Get as many in as possible. I mean, it's all about being kinder to yourself. Sort of the way you manage your time goes back to how kind you're being to yourself. Am I creating a system that's going to make me enjoy my time more? Am I giving myself enough space to do things? Or am I crushing my time by putting so much pressure, by being so unkind to myself, by beating myself up all day long? And I think to a certain extent, as humans, we're all guilty of that. We say a lot of negative things to ourselves throughout the day. As we're rushing around, we put a lot of pressure on ourselves. We compare ourselves to others. And it is this idea that goes back to the general theme of being kinder to yourself, you know, learning to accept where you're at, accept growing as a process, accept that process sometimes and progress might not be linear. Sometimes things go in bursts. Sometimes you do little steps and it helps a lot. So that's sort of my general philosophy is that it all goes back to being compassionate towards ourselves. Hmm.
0: So good. Well, I was lucky enough to get to read your book, and in it, there were so many of these nuggets that you were talking about, all these different tools you've collected, and I really liked how you had it laid out, and one example you gave was on the intensity of tasks, mm-hmm. and you know, how that intensity can create more stress in our lives, so can you kind of explain what you mean by that intensity of tasks?
1: Sure. Well, the tool is called the Task Intensity Meter. And I developed it as a way to people, for people to have a language to communicate how stressful tasks feel to them. And it's really simple. You just rate things high, middle, or low intensity. And when I say the word intensity, what I really mean is how stressful does it feel for you to do this particular task? And we're talking about tasks. It could be anything big or small. It could be doing the laundry. It could be picking your kids up from school. It could be writing a novel. Anything. And that intensity level is going to feel different for all of us. For one person, going to pick your kids up is an easy task. For another person, it's extremely high intensity. They don't like driving. They don't like driving in rush hour. There's no parking around the school. There's a million reasons why something is high intensity for you. And like I said, it changes day to day depending on your mental and physical energy. So what this allows us to do is be more compassionate to ourselves. First of all, to get really honest about how hard things are feeling for you to do, because we're not always really honest, right? We're like, I can do that. I can do all these errands. I can do all these chores. Some of those chores may feel very high intensity to you. And you're not really thinking, how is this affecting me emotionally? Yes, I can race to Target to buy eight things right now. Does that feel high intensity, mid intensity, low intensity? You know, it kind of depends. And the way you order your tasks will change when you start to view things through this lens, because what I try to teach people is you don't want to stack too many high intensity tasks back to back in a row, because this tends to lead us to a bad emotional place. Mm -hmm. So yes, we can all do a lot of high intensity things. If we want to, we can push through and do it. Where are you going to end up emotionally as a result? So when I teach people this tool, it sounds really simple, but just getting them to write down on paper, here's the things I need to do. And now I want you to rate all those things with like H, M or low, high, mid, low. And then seeing kind of their thought process and the light bulb go off like, oh, I see what I'm doing to myself. Why would I put this high-intensity task right there? I'm tired at 4 o'clock. Why would I decide to do that right after this other high-intensity thing? That's the kind of work I do with people, and it's so fascinating because it's different for all people. It changes every day. And if you can get yourself to start to rate the tasks in your head, it will change the way you're doing them throughout the day.
0: Well, I also like what you said there about how it changes on any given day based on what's going on, right? Like going to Target yeah. might not, for eight things that I need, might not feel high intensity for me tomorrow when my podcast has already come out, right?
1: Yeah, or on a Saturday.
0: deadline. You're at, mm-hmm. or on a Saturday, right? Like, But if today's the deadline where I have to finish the episode and get it edited and get it posted, well, I've got a lot of high intensity work activities mm-hmm. today that I'm not going to be able to squeeze in an hour run to Target because I don't have one right around the corner. So I like how you have to just put it into context too about what's going on. So you have to give yourself, like you said, that kindness and compassion to say, okay, well, right. I understand this wasn't a big deal last week when I needed to go on this day. But also on that day last week, I didn't have this and this and this and this going on. Whereas today you know, we can get down on ourselves to be like, it wasn't so hard last week. Why is it hard this week? Yeah. Because something else is going on. So I really like how you kind of put that in there. And Yeah. You have to think about what else we're doing.
1: Yeah. And just your physical, the physical component. Sometimes you're sick, you're (laughs) under the weather. You've been dealing with your kids who have the cold and now you're feeling kind of slow and that trip feels twice as hard as it did yesterday. It gets us out of this beating ourselves up, but it also gets us out of comparing ourselves to other people. Because what I find a lot of moms do, especially and parents, is that they look at someone and they're like, well, she's doing it all. She's racing (laughs) the kids around to martial arts and then this, and they're building this product and then she's cooking dinner. How am I not able to do all these things? I should be able to do all those things today, even though I have a cold, even though it's been a hard night. My kids didn't sleep. And we create these strange expectations for ourselves. And if you're not really getting honest with yourself and examining those, it creates over time this feeling of, I can't keep up. I'm not good enough. I'm not doing a good enough job. So it all ties back to the way we end up talking to ourselves, how we're doing these tasks, how we're experiencing these tasks, and letting ourselves recover from tasks. It's so important to self-care in general. Mm -hmm.
0: Yes. I've been working on that more and more (laughs) and just as I, you know, as I kind of am being kinder to myself, right? I do equate self-care and kindness to myself now where I didn't necessarily before. Um, So that's been a learning process for myself too, but you are so, so on it. Um, There was another concept in the book that I liked, and it was about focusing attention. Yeah. And you had these kind of three different focuses. And so you say that someone who is chronically busy, often multitasks, and it causes them to stay in a half-focused state of mind. Mm-hmm. So can you explain a little bit more about that?
1: Well, a bunch of things happen to us when we're multitasking. Generally, our stress level is super high. <laughs> and, the, and the cortisol kind of and the adrenaline makes us think we can just push through everything. And often what I teach my clients is when you start having thoughts like, I can just push through and do this, you're not in a great mental space. (laughs) Like you need to take a break and think about what you're doing when you're saying those kinds of things to yourself. Because it's often a sign that our stress is way too high. We're jammed up mentally. And what clients will often say is, I feel frozen, like I can't make decisions. Tasks are becoming harder and harder to do. And these are all just signs your general stress levels way, way too high. So part of what I do is we need to work on bringing our stress down as it's rising and kind of catch it before it reaches that tipping point. But yeah, like I said in my book, there's different types of attention. There's fully focused attention. That's when your energy is really in a clear space. Your brain is in a clear space. So the mental and physical energy are both high. And you're able to look at a task or problem and you have that clarity, like you get the full perspective. Okay, here are the steps I need to do. And it's easy to make a to-do list and it's easy to break things down when you're in that state. When you're in a half-focused state, which is what most people are in when they're multitasking, they're in and out of that clarity. They're taking too much on. So they'll get really clear, but then something interrupts them and then they go do that. And they never kind of lock into engaging with that one task. So your engagement is all over the place. Your motivation to complete things is all over the place too. And when you're in an unfocused state, that's when it's very difficult to complete tasks. It's very difficult to feel motivated. It's hard to even focus your brain on what you're reading or what you're doing. You may read the same email three times and it's like not registering what you need to do. And we've often been in that state. And sometimes what people will do is when they're in an unfocused state, they think that they need a break. So they'll go on their phone and doom scroll or look at other people's photos or go on Instagram. But what they're really doing is just keeping themselves in an unfocused state for a longer time, if that makes sense. So when you learn to identify what these feel like in your brain, you can kind of think. What state do I need to be in next? Like, let's say I have a pretty intense task coming up. I have to write a chapter of my book. I better figure out a way to get in a focused state of attention. So that means, you know, what can I do? Well, for me personally, I can put my phone away. I can stop trying to do laundry in the background. I can stop rushing around. I just, You know, it's part of it is like mental prep. I need to do a high intensity task. I need to be focused. So what can I do to narrow my focus onto that thing and make it easier for my brain to pay attention rather than harder for my brain to pay attention?
0: Mm, So good. So good. (laughs) Okay. And so you had talked about kind of warming up your brain, right? So you could do, Mm -hmm. you talked about doing like puzzles or um, little things like that that could make us, which I think is a little counterintuitive, um, Mm -hmm. which I think is awesome because (laughs) <laughs> For myself, I wouldn't think like, oh, if I do a crossword puzzle or Sudoku or, you know, um, something that was maybe wouldn't even take me that long, maybe like a, the daily wordle, right, or whatever. Yeah. that would Just take me just a few minutes, um, I think. And and like you said, that would kind of warm up your brain. But if I'm paraphrasing yeah, yeah. In the book, please correct me if I'm not. But then it gets your brain warmed up and maybe ready to snap into this more focused, um, you know, kind of state of mind. Whereas yes, I think the knee jerk is check my email, uh, Mm -hmm. you know, look at what's going on on social media. Like you said, just kind of that phone becomes such the, it's such an addiction. It's such Um, a
1: temptation because we're seeking relief and it's kind of designed, especially Instagram and TikTok. And YouTube are designed for the dopamine hit that we're kind of seeking. But what we end up doing is going down what I call a time sinkhole, where we're just looking at images. We're getting overstimulated. We're getting a little overwhelmed in our brain, but our focus is still all over the map. Because if you think of all the random things we're looking at, that's a lot of stuff you're cramming in your brain and trying to say, hey, hold on to all this while you also need to do the task that you're scheduled to do in 10 minutes. I mean, it's a lot to ask your brain to do as just a brain, you know, so the brain warm up tool is, um, I suggest sometimes puzzles work well for people, but it's finding a quick activity that gets you in that highly focused state. So that fully focused state of attention, and it's different for every single person. So a brain puzzle might work for me, but it might not work for you. Doodling works for some people generally things where you're focusing your your hand and your eye on doing something kind of gets your brain in that state where you're like oh i need to pay attention to this now um but lots of people do exercise too sometimes that can get you in the mood get your energy up a little bit it's sort of whatever works for you and i give a lot of little examples from clients in the book of stuff that works for for them you want to find something quick that focuses you, that doesn't put you down a sinkhole again. You know, you can get lost in searching for Wordle apps or whatever. That's kind of like a (laughs) sneaky sinkhole. Um, So you want to pick something quick, easy, fun, but not so fun that you get lost in it. It just gives you a little boost. And I think it's more about naming it. Like, this is my brain warm-up to do that spreadsheet or to work on my novel because we're prepping our brains in that way to get ready to do the task, which I think we don't do enough of. We just expect our brains to be fully engaged, high intensity, Mm -hmm. perform flawlessly, you know, and that's a lot to ask (laughs) yourself to to do. Yeah, Yeah. like jump in the car, go to the grocery store, go pick up the kids. It's like there's not enough prep going on in a healthy way. Like, Okay. The next segment of time is I have to go do this errand and then I will get the kids. And after that, I'm going to take a break and decompress so that I can transition into whatever state I need to be into next. So a big piece of the work I do with people is planning out these buffer breaks. They're called time buffer breaks, where in between a group of tasks, you're giving your brain enough time to decompress and switch gears. And this is so important as a mom. Especially if you're a working mom, especially if you are wearing multiple hats, like for instance, you're running this podcast, being in podcast mode, and then going right into mom mode is difficult sometimes. It's a different part of your brain you're using. You're very detail-oriented when you're recording and editing audio. And then suddenly when you have to help kids with homework or emotional problems or this or that, it can be wonky for people, those transitions. So, I work with people to give themselves enough time, say, okay, I need 10 minutes. I'm just going to sit here. I'm just going to do some breathing or put on some music and switch out of this mode. And then you can be more present for your kids. And then you can get into those emotional spaces that you need to be in as a mom more easily. Mm-hmm. This podcast is supported by Active Skin
0: Repair, a skin health company helping people heal with natural, non-toxic, medical-grade ingredients. We've been using Active Skin Repair for a few months now, and I am seriously impressed. They use a molecule called hyaluronic acid, which is pretty much a superhero in skincare. It mimics your body's own immune response, helping to cleanse, soothe, and reduce inflammation to support the natural healing process. And let me tell you, it works for more than just scraped knees. Whether it's sunburns, rashes, or even more persistent issues like eczema or acne, Active Skin Repair has got you covered. The best part? It's totally safe and non-toxic. That means it's gentle enough for every skin type, from the little ones to grandma and everyone in between, making it the go-to for everyone in the family. I scraped my knuckle the other day while doing laundry, and my first thought was to grab the Active Skin Repair, because one, it doesn't sting like other products, and two, I knew it would help me heal faster. So if you're looking for a natural, effective way to handle boo-boos, check out Active Skin Repair. And because you're a listener, you can get 20% off your order. Visit ActiveSkinRepair.com to learn more about Active Skin Repair. And to get 20% off your order, use code CLUTTERFREE. Again, that's ActiveSkinRepair.com and use code CLUTTERFREE to get 20% off
2: your order. I'm Margaret. And I'm Amy. And together we host the podcast, What Fresh Hell? Laughing in the Face of Motherhood.
0: That, and that is the goal, right? I mean, that is the goal, to be able to transition between these things in a more consistent, you know. Connector. Smoother way. Smoother yeah. way. That's the word I'm looking for as I'm, like, spreading butter here with my hand. <laughs> <laughs> it's,
1: it's what fun. we're all yeah. trying to do, true, and true. Right. we can't do it every day. There's going to be days where curveballs come, and you're oh, just sure. so low energy that you're not navigating it as well. But then it's like about being kind to yourself and saying, hey, I'm having a rough day. There's no way I can do all these tasks on my to-do list. Maybe I just need today to do one or two and then tomorrow get myself in a state of mind where I can do that, you know? So again, it's showing yourself compassion and not beating yourself up, expecting yourself to do a hundred things when some days it's too upstream, it's too uphill to be trying to do all that.
0: All right. Well, let's jump into the craziness of the holidays because here we yeah. are in December, and this time of year, I mean, uh, for everyone, especially moms, because we just have so much to do um, already. Now we've got the magic of the holiday season
1: upon <laughs> us.
0: Yeah. So you can see how in the about kids the same are time. about to be
1: home from school. Yeah, we're About so. to
0: be home for two weeks. Yeah,
1: we don't so get much of a rest
0: really kind of throws a wrench in a lot of plans. So do you have any specific time management techniques that you recommend around the holidays when, yes, not just kids, but now maybe we have family coming in or we're traveling to
1: family. We've got a lot of different things going on. I think holidays and vacations in general are often a really stressful time. And it's like a sneaky stressful time because your Mm -hmm. brain assumes it's going to be a break. It's going to be fun. And then all this stress piles on us. And often that's the way we're managing our time. And we're putting a lot of unrealistic expectations on ourselves. So I think it's about getting your expectations in line with how much energy you actually have. Not want to, should, think I should have. You know, like how much energy do you actually have? It's possible around this time of year, you're pretty burnt out. You're pretty tired. So like I said, with the task intensity, this goes for vacations too. Maybe you don't overdo it with a million Christmassy type things all back to back, all in a row. Or maybe it's about getting honest with yourself and saying some of these get-togethers and things are high intensity for me. I have to engage a lot. Maybe that's hard for me. I have to make small talk. I have to make food. I have to do errands more. I have to manage the kids. I don't get a lot of downtime. And you look at what you have to do in an honest way, instead of like this fantasy world where I can do all these things and I'll be the perfect host and the perfect mom and and I'll never feel stress and it won't feel hard. When in actuality, we know a lot of that stuff is hard. (laughs) Right.
3: Yeah. For a lot of us. Oh, my gosh.
0: Yeah. 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 And we feel tired. Yeah. And, and also I was thinking like maybe some parts are easy for you, but they're hard for someone else in your family, right? Like yeah. I'm the extrovert. So having a party um, or going to a party is a lot easier for me. Hosting the party is still a lot of work, right? That's a, that's a challenge. Um, but going to a party is a little bit easier and I get jazzed up with those things. Whereas my partner, my husband is more of an introvert. So it takes mm-hmm. more effort for him to then go to said parties and and not that he doesn't enjoy being at them, but it's just a different energy level. I get my energy from those events, and he expends his energy at the Exactly.
1: And he might need more downtime. Yeah, exactly. It might be like one a week, and he might be done. He might say no more for the rest of the break. He might also exactly. have kids. They're all over the place. One kid likes parties. Right. One kid doesn't want to go. And it's like torture for them to be there, you know? So we're all over the map and we have to be understanding and know that it's so hard to read our own stress levels. We might be misreading everyone in our family's stress levels too. There's a big possibility that they are not showing you how stressed out they are in the same way that you express stress. Mm -hmm. So often our partners, we have no idea how stressed out they are until they actually tell us because they may look fine on the outside. Or an extrovert might look like they're having a great time, but might be very anxious and stressed out on the inside about something that wouldn't stress us out at all. Even driving to a party, you ask two people and they're, I hate driving at night. This is awful. I don't like going somewhere. I don't know where it is. And you might never know yeah. this unless they tell you, right?
0: Right, right. Oh, it's a, and it's such a good point you bring up, too, about, um, like just giving each other that space and asking. And and also, right, we're all struggling ourselves. If we're listening to this, you're listening to my show, right? We're dealing with our own things of how do we manage our own time? Well, if you are not able to manage your own time and teach it to the people in your home, then maybe they're not able to manage their time as much as they would like as well. And so yeah, just give ourselves that space and the ability to know that, right and especially this time of year we watch all these movies you know the holiday movies and how everything kind of gets our expectations up together yeah right it's yeah and people
1: have different visions of what they want the holiday to look like for somebody who's really into that stuff it might look like oh I spend it with family and we're all out doing things for another person it's Oh, I finally am not working, so I'm just going to binge watch TV by myself. I need alone time. And then that's where you get conflict because your vision of what you think a holiday is is completely different, too. Mm -hmm. So it's good to just get more understanding about people's stress levels in general this time of year and know that everyone's expressing it differently.
0: Right. And just asking people, like, what, what would you like to do? this holiday season, right? Like what are the big things on your list? Do you want to go ice skating? Do you want to go look at the lights? Do you want to you know, go out for hot cocoa? What are the things that are the most important to you? And making sure that everybody has a say of what their top couple things are so that you, yeah. can, you can work around them, right? Like I, that's something we do in our house. So we can kind of figure out what are the top ones. If we can squeeze in the lower tier ones and without stressing ourselves out, great. If not, We hit the highlights
1: and be okay with that. They actually have a tool that um, you take any situation, like it's called the social extractor, social task Mm. extractor from my first book, The Ultimate Anxiety Toolkit. And whatever the situation is, like you're going to a a New Year's party or something, Mm -hmm. you list the three things you want to get out of the party, which are simple things. They shouldn't involve too many other people. Like, I would like to. Enjoy a meal with my friends. I would like to check in with so and so. I'd like to, you know, wear the new outfit I bought, something like this. It's three things. And if you accomplish those three things, great. You could say, that was a success. I did it. You can do this with vacations too. When I visit London, I just want to have a nice meal. I want to sit over here and look at this, the Sen or not the Sen, the Thames. Or I want to go to this museum, you know, and you just keep it really minimal so again to bring things back to time management and minimalism many of the people listening are probably very good at filtering stuff out of their house right and things but i want you to start thinking of minimalism in a time sense in a time management sense you don't need to overfill your time it goes back to the same principles as probably you discuss on your show When you're bringing stuff into your house, you know, try to get a little more intentional or ask yourself, what what is the purpose? Why do I want this thing? It's the same thing with time. So as the holidays fill up our schedule, it's like, what do I actually want? What are the three things I want to experience this holiday? And how do I keep them simple and doable and manageable, not make them so over the top that I feel like it's a high intensity task for all of us now? And that's a way of simplifying things down from a minimalist point of view, where you're getting rid of time clutter, so to speak, if that makes sense. Right.
0: Yeah, it totally does. Yeah, absolutely. I always believe less is more in both things. (laughs) Yeah. Because it gives us space to
1: experience it. And it gives us space and freedom to emotionally engage with things. And when we're overly busy, we're not giving ourselves enough freedom to really be in that moment, remember that moment and connect with it, you know, as it's happening. We're kind of just uh-huh. rushing and thinking, what's next? What's next? What's next?
0: Totally. That's sort of the opposite
1: I, of what we're trying to do, right? Sure. Really in life.
0: Right. Absolutely. And the other thing I we've realized in our life is if you have a little bit of that buffer space, right? Like a we're going to do this one thing this weekend or, you know, we're going to go to this one event or whatever it is. If you have kind of lessened how much you're planning to do, if you're having a great time, it gives you the ability to extend that time, right? Instead of being like, we have this party to go to. Okay. And then we got invited to two parties because we got to go this one and then we got to go to this one. Right. And if you're having so much fun at the first one, you have to leave to go to the second one, and you um, kind of zap your own I don't know fun. That happens, but yeah, yeah. You like do. you're in a fun moment, Constantly. and you're like,
1: "Oh, we gotta go now. Sorry, can't enjoy this. Right. Get back right. in the car."
0: It does. It kind of buffers your your excitement. It tempers it down mm-hmm. because you're saying, "Okay, I only have so much time here, and then I gotta go somewhere else." And we. Um, yeah we found that in lots of different areas in our life so I think that's another yeah you
1: know, benefit. and it's so good to to model for your kids too because as parents our intentions are often so great we want to give them all those fun experiences almost too much sometimes right like too many classes, too many play too many everything and what we're not modeling to them is it's okay sometimes to not do so much to just enjoy space of Being with family, hanging out, not a lot of pressure, not a lot of racing around, enjoy space together and downtime together, which is something we forget when we're packing our schedules full of things that might sound fun on paper, but like you're saying, in reality, sometimes they're not as fun as we think they're going to be.
0: Right. Oh, so true. Okay. So the other one I want to ask you about is. Obviously, as the year winds down, a lot of people do take that moment maybe to kind of re- relax and restore and rejuvenate. But now January one's coming, right? And so then mm-hmm. there's this, all this pressure to have New Year's resolutions and hit the you know New Year, New Year, New You, and all of the you know catchphrases that we get bombarded with um, as we head into now 2023. And um, so, do you have any tips on how to be? more productive while still being kind to ourselves as we kind of, you know, toss around these resolutions and kind of how we want to be going forward.
1: Yeah. So in all three of my books, they have a lot of goal tools, which are really great because I think they address the main problem you're talking about, which is we tend to be really extreme with goals. We want (laughs) like instant, like come January 1st. Instantly, let's do it instantly. I got to fix all the problems in my life immediately. Yeah. And what that does is it cranks our anxiety and stress so high. And often my clients will come in and they'll read me a list of goals. And even I start feeling stressed out. I'm like, I even just hearing your goals, I'm stressed. And that's not good, you know, because it means your goals are too big. They're too. It's like that being hard on yourself thing. It's a way of being hard on yourself and saying, I don't like all these things, so therefore I'm going to come in with all this intensity and force myself to change and snap too. And I like to look at things from a more gentle, gradual perspective. It's okay to set big goals and think, you know, in 2024, what do I want to be doing? Like in one year's time, what, what is this picture I'm seeing? But I also ask it's like, what do you want to feel? You know, it's not just about doing the thing. It's about what do you want to feel when you do that thing? So I want to run a marathon. Okay, well, what what is the emotional goal? What do you want to feel? Oh, I want to feel like it'll give me confidence and I'll feel, okay, great. So picture feeling confident. Picture you're doing something like that that makes you feel confident at the end. And then we kind of slice it down to a more manageable goal. So we start with the year goal and I first test it out a little, say, is this being really hard? Is this reasonable? Do you feel like this is reasonable or is it stressing you out to even picture doing at which point I'd say you know let's think about cutting it down a little bit what feels a little less intimidating that well maybe you know a 10k or something like this so you cut it down till it feels like okay I can actually start to see that happening and then you break it down month by month going backwards for one year's time what will I need to do I'm going to walk backwards and think Okay, all the way down to now, what needs to happen? And often by the time we get to that point, we've broken it down. It's like scaffolding the goal. You're walking down the staircase, right? And you're thinking, okay, it's just one little monthly step they have to take to get to this big thing. And now what you've done is you're speaking to yourself in a much kinder way about it. It's starting to feel more like you can do it. And it's starting to feel like, okay, if I just do a little bit at a time, I'm going to get there in a year. We're stretching your time perspective instead of shrinking it, which is what everyone tends to want to do when we talk about goals. They want to shrink <laughs> it down and say, it's got to happen by next month. That's it. You know, and that's, that's too hard on yourself. I would encourage people to look at how hard they're being on themselves and think, is there an easier way I could do this? Because once it starts feeling easy and it starts to feel fun and you're talking to yourself in a nice way, the motivation kicks in a lot faster. You're not fighting the resistance as much and the procrastination as much that we build up.
0: Hmm. Okay. I like that. I've You know, there's so much conflicting advice out there about goals and some are to make these big, crazy goals so that you feel Mm -hmm. motivated to get up and out of bed. And that might work for some people, but I agree that I am not one of those people. I mean, I do like <laughs> big goals. I think I have high expectations for myself. So I think some of my goals would feel really big to other people. I get that. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, you know, on a lark a few years ago, I'm like, I want to start a podcast. So here I started a podcast and I, mm-hmm. you know, some people might look at it and go, that's a little crazy. Um, and so, I, but I do agree that if the goal is too big, I do shut down, right? I've yeah, learned that about myself the time. Yeah, and so it is figuring I, out what is a goal for you that feels right. And I like that idea about feeling yeah. excited, where you break it down until you're like, oh, I can actually picture what that would be like.
1: Emotionally. Like that, I think it yeah, it's an imagine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the yeah. podcast, like having a big goal is fine if it feels like you're connecting with it. Like I said, it's different for all people. You have to custom tailor it to your own brain. So, you know, running a marathon for one person seems easy. It seems like, yeah, month to month, I can get there. It'll be super easy. To another person, it seems impossible and they're going to avoid it. They're going to (laughs) say every year, I'm going to do that and then not do it. So I think if it's something you're hitting resistance and you're feeling that procrastination, you're feeling like, okay, I really want to write this novel, but I haven't started for many, many years. Then it's time to get honest and say, what is getting me stuck? Is this too big? Am I making the deadline too small? Am I not thinking of it in small enough steps where I just have to write a couple sentences a week and see what happens? I think it's like lightening up the pressure enough so it feels possible to do. And that's the important part. But not letting yourself so far off the hook that you just forget all together about doing it. So finding that kind of sweet spot in the middle.
0: Yeah. I like that. I really like that a lot. Um, Okay. I want to come back to kind of the stuff in our house because you had a really interesting part in the book too about um, stuff. And that's one of the things that a lot of people ask me about. And and I'm a big proponent of making sure everything has a home. So this idea (laughs) for everything belongs somewhere, it has a place to go because it does make tidying up easier. And so you have an interesting take on this and you call it stuff stations.
1: So the idea of a stuff station is in, a. I think, Western culture, we have tend to have a very short term perspective on stuff just because our access to stuff, we can get stuff everywhere and everything. You know, you can get most things easily from Amazon like next day or it just shows up. So there is this impulse to when we have a problem. OK, any more stuff, any more stuff or when we're bored or when we're depressed. When we're in different emotional states, sometimes the solution is, okay, I'm going to fill it with stuff. And it goes back to the idea you talked about. I also believe stuff should have a home. But to get there, to even be able to organize that in your brain, you have to look at changing time perspective with stuff. So if you see the stuff you're bringing in as something you're going to have a long-term relationship with versus a short-term relationship with. It makes this whole idea of finding a home for it a little easier. It's sort of like personifying your stuff, like Marie Kondo talks about, where you start to see it as an entity that's going to live in your home, right? So if I don't see my clothes as things that are going to live in my home forever, it's really easy to just order more clothes. Oh, that's so cute. I need that. I need that. What if I go to a party? I might need that, right? And you start piling up the clothes and you're just shoving them in the closet. And you're not even aware anymore how much stuff you have. You have no relationship with it anymore, right? And I think one of the goals of minimalism is you have fewer stuff, so you have some kind of relationship with that stuff. So finding a station for stuff. So the first question I ask people is, where is this thing? If you're going to buy something, where is it going to live in your house? So it needs a home. And then, you know, what are you going to use it for? How long do you think you're going to use this thing for? Is this Something you're only going to use once or is it going to live in your house for a long time? Are you going to have like a relationship with this thing you're bringing in? So the stuff station came from my work with adults with ADHD, where things get lost a lot. Often one of the common problems of people who have ADHD is they can forget things. They forget where they put things. They, if you don't see it, they forget they have it sometimes. So organization is a key thing. So it's the idea of finding a home for your stuff and then grouping similar things together. So an instance of that would be like if buy, I buy tape, I'm putting it in this drawer, that's the tape home. But then I'm gonna call it the office supply station, like the stuff station for office supplies. And all the office supplies are gonna live in this one drawer. So in that way, I'm like grouping things together. And the way I teach people to do it is just start with the one thing, the tape lives in that drawer. But the next time you buy an office supply, you're like, oh, it goes in the home with the tape because that's the office supply drawer. And you're slowly starting to group stuff together in your house. It doesn't require a big overhaul. You don't have to like empty everything out on the floor and do this. You just do it a little bit at a time as things are trickling in. Make sure you're not storing them in like 10 different places in your house. Because as you know, as parents, Sometimes there are pins in like five different drawers. There's scissors everywhere. We can't find the glue when it's someone's project. It's just so much easier if you just mentally group those things together and say they're all going to live in this one spot. It doesn't have to be the most organized. I just have to mentally mark that spot as that territory. And that's kind of how I teach people to look at organizing from an easier framework. Mm
0: -hmm. Yep. Sounds very similar. So I love it. Yeah. You know, what would you say is the difference if something is short term, right? Like so if I plan on you plan on having something for a season or, you know, I don't know. I generally tend to look at things longer term myself, but let's say there's something yeah, sometimes that we're having you for, you
1: know, Halloween ornaments you know, or sure. things that you're like, gonna put up.
0: Yeah, with kids, they grow so fast, right? I mean, so much of the kids' stuff I would consider temporary, right? Because Yeah, the they're gonna transition out of and she's gone through how many things right exactly so okay so let's look at let's look at that is there a difference for how you would classify this temporary stuff that we know is just a season in life versus kind of a longer term you know longer term stuff that you're going to have this long relationship with
1: right so I have a good trick for kids stuff I involve them in the clearing out Mm -hmm. of their own stuff and I have been doing this for years because I got so fed up with every little of me sorting through all their toys because I had this thing where, you know, twice a year I do like a seasonal overhaul where we just get rid of all the like a spring cleaning and then like one later in the year and we just get rid of stuff and we, you know, donate it and, and give it to people we think might want books or this kind of thing. And I was getting so frustrated because it's so much pressure and I get overwhelmed by having to make a lot of stuff decisions. So one reason I teach people to have less stuff is from the point of view of decision fatigue, it's so much easier when you have less stuff because everything you own is causing you to make dozens of decisions. Like, where is this going to live? What will I do when I need to get rid of it? Where am I going to store it? How will I reach it? These are all decisions. And I look at time as like, I only have so much time each day and I only have so much mental energy. So when it came to kids stuff, I was getting really overwhelmed, especially when they were really little and they had so many toys and toys just kept coming in and they'd get tired of the toys and then pieces of the toys were missing. And all that was like way too many decisions for my brain to handle. And as a mom, you know, you've probably experienced this where you go to dump a bunch of stuff in like a Goodwill bag. And then you take it to goodwill and the next thing you know, your kid's like, what happened to that toy? And they freak out. So I was like, I can't, I can't do this. I can't be the one in charge. So I'd make a box and every couple times a year, or sometimes more, depending on the phase we were in. I'd say, okay, you're gonna take all the toys you don't want and you're gonna say goodbye to them and say thank you to the toy and put it in the thing. We're gonna give it to somebody who really, really wants it. And I want you to be really clear about what you're dumping. And of course I had one kid. He's like a natural minimalist to dump everything in there. And he's like, I'm done. I don't want to do this anymore. I'll get rid of everything. And another kid who's a natural sentimentalist who did not want to look anything. He would not get rid of anything. So it took some time and practice. And I had them coach each other, too. I'm like, well, why don't you help your brother figure out what to get rid of since you want to get rid of everything, you know? And they each had their own box and ownership of that box. But they had to fill it with a certain amount of items. And then we take away. So I'd encourage you to not take this on all of yourself as the mom. Mm -hmm. Involve them because you're training them for later in life when they are adults and they are overwhelmed and they are like, how do I get rid of stuff? You you're building that muscle in of like, okay, stuff equals decision. So we can't just accumulate stuff. We have to constantly sort through it. And what I saw happening over time as my kids got older is they got a little more picky about stuff. They weren't as greedy about I need every toy. They kind of pared stuff down naturally, you know, and they wanted to arrange their bookcase more deliberately now that there was less stuff on it. So maybe you found this too with your own kids.
0: Absolutely. We had this, I mean, just this year alone, even looking through all the catalogs, you know, and I think sometimes you get a little nervous, like giving them the the toy catalog and being like, here, make (laughs) a Christmas list. And you're like, oh, you cringe a little bit nervous about what they're going to put on it. And honestly, I mean, she looked through like five toy catalogs and was like, there's a couple things in there that look great. And I'm like, (laughs) you know, so it it really does. um, You know, it does work. Right. This idea of, you know, Making sure that you talk about what's important and you put the importance on the stuff. And just we do a lot of like creativity stuff where it's more, mm-hmm. you know, the open ended toy stuff where you're building the curler beads and you're building, you're you know, making the friendship bracelets and you're crafting and you're doing the things that yeah. take a little bit more of that creativity versus just the, you know, the plastic things you just play with.
1: Um, yeah. And, so, and that's yeah. great too, so, because that's like yeah. a longer term toy. Like when you have craft right. buckets and these kinds of things, you can keep recycling that stuff for future projects. So the kids get more attached to using it over time.
0: Yeah. And I'm just fascinated too. Like she's gotten, you know, she ebbs and flows, right? She has her cycles. She'll go through one that she really loves and then another that she's like, not so much. And then she'll come back to it again. Um, so, you know, it's, a, it's kind of a natural toy rotation. Um, yeah just kind of if we've talked about that with younger kids and stuff and I know it can be a lot of work um, but it kind of naturally happens I think with children anyway and so I'm just fascinated too how some of these toys can grow with them like perler beads for instance mm-hmm. you know you start off with just the very two-dimensional and now she started making her own like three-dimensional things with them and it's just really fun cool to kind of watch her creativity um, you know spark with that stuff so yeah. Um, yeah. I'm all on board with having the kids, you know, participate um, because, in the stuff yeah, purging. Job,
1: it kind of oh teaches gosh, them especially what purging. they like, what's important to them, what they want more of or less of, and how to organize right. their stuff. Even if you are the one basically doing it with them at first when they're yes. little.
0: Yes. Yeah, the yeah, yeah. I get it. You're keeping. You don't get off mind.
1: the hook, but at least you're training <laughs> them. And I promise you, now yeah. that my kids are older, sure it is a muscle that will build over time. And you will start seeing them take more initiative to, to do yeah. these things on their own and to want to get rid of things in their closet suddenly and say, hey, I want to donate this. I want to give this to so-and-so. They'll take more initiative if they see you modeling it and explaining the process. Often as yeah. moms, we come in like a whirlwind and we're just like, everything's got to go. And it's very upsetting to kids because they don't Know what you're doing. They're just right. Why are you taking my toy? What are you doing? You know, and we're because we're in such a high stress state. We're not explaining the steps, like the basic steps. This is what you need to do to maintain the room. This is what we need to do to maintain the closet. This is what you know. And when you can do it from a calm perspective, not in a freaked out, like everything's got to go extreme mindset, you're training them to think of the thought process behind how do we consider the way our home looks and what we want in our home, what we want to use the space for, you know, these are all good skills that many grownups don't have. (laughs) And so we develop them later in life.
0: Right. And, and two, right. Having those, maybe having set times where you're saying, like you said, you do two times a year. We do two times a year as well. Um, We get lucky. Our, Our daughter has a summer birthday. So it's one before birthday and it's one before the holidays, right around the gift giving holidays of mm-hmm. you want you would like to get some more presents, but we're pretty full, like what we have. Right. Is, we need is space good.
1: for those so, things to live on right. the shelves.
0: Yeah. Exactly. And so having those already planned in advance does make it a lot easier, easier, especially when you're having stressful moments, right? Like life can be stressful sometimes, but you've already have this plan, so it doesn't come from that angle of I'm so frustrated. This is crazy. I'm, I've, I've reached my limit. Stuff has got to go, right? Cause,
1: yeah, because we've all been there. We've all we've been all in that been st- <laughs> But what you're actually not communicating yeah. to your spouse and to your kids yeah. is cleaning equals stress. When you come at them in that mode, all they're seeing is mom is stress, cleaning is stress. That's not kind of what we're, that's not the message we're actually trying to, we're actually trying to convey. Right. Cleaning can be fun, and we can get to the other side of that, which is relief, and like space and joy. Now you can play better in your room and you have more room under yourselves. We're trying to communicate positive feelings, but we're coming at them with kind of a negative mindset. And that's what they're going to see more than what we're doing. So you want to be careful what you're communicating when it comes to cleaning. How can we make this a game? How can we make this fun? And I know it's hard because not all of us see it as a fun game. But sometimes I'll, I have a trick um, in my book, which is called The Music Motivator, which is if you want to train your brain to do a task you're avoiding, like cleaning the kitchen, you put on a song that you associate with cleaning the kitchen. And I was recently on my own podcast talking to another therapist about using this for kids. And we're like, oh, this is a great trick for kids because we had both come to the same conclusion that you could do this with kids. Like I would play their favorite song what does the fox say i mean like at the end of wow. the song everything's you know f- figure out where everything goes and put it away and you only have till the end of the song and then it's like a game like ooh, ooh. we got to make the room clean by the end of the song and you keep making stuff like that where it's like this isn't so bad it's only a minute to two minutes long it's not like all saturday we have to clean what a bummer it's like two minutes no, and it's yeah. a game and at the end of it, if it's not perfect, if there's stuff still everywhere, it's okay you know they they learned a little, they grew a little in the process of that game. hmm oh,
0: so true, well, and fascinating too i I know we're we're going on on here, but um how you said the you know you're now equating i'm going back a little bit, you're equating stress or cleaning with stress, which is so interesting yeah. because. I would have seen it as you're equating too much stuff with the stress, and the cleaning is the thing that gets you to the other side. But I can see how you From come a kid in point like, of view, I do this. this. All they, is they see is mom part. is pis right, and like yelling at me. yeah, There is too much stuff, and it's stressing me out. So Well, whoa, kids don't have fascinated. the
1: long-term yeah. time perspective, too. We need to teach them. They haven't seen this stuff accumulate. You know what I mean? Like we have as moms because we're the ones, where does this go? I have to unwrap it. I have to put batteries in it. I have to store it. They're not seeing the behind the scenes. Why did mom get to this place? (laughs) Stress Mm -hmm. and like freaking out because the closet is now caving in, you know, when she opens it. So, yeah, these Uh are all things. We explain the process. We explain our emotional state. We say, I'm feeling really stressed out about this. What can we do? The more you can involve kids on the process of, I'm feeling overwhelmed. Are you guys feeling overwhelmed every time you go in that closet? Does it feel overwhelming to you? What are you guys feeling in here? What would feel better in here? What do you want to make this into? It's Mm -hmm. just a collaborative experience and that's less authoritarian, clean your room up or else, you know, which they don't always understand why. And sometimes they want to do the opposite.
0: Yeah. Ugh. Well, this has been fantastic, Risa. I really appreciate <laughs> Super all of fun the talking to you. And, the knowledge. <laughs> and I, like I said, we could have this conversation all day. You are speaking my language, and <laughs> I definitely am relating to everything you're saying. So, where can people find you? Because I know they're going to l- want to look you up.
1: Well, you can find me at my website, reesawilliams.com. You can see all my books there, which are also available on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and in bookstores worldwide. My first book has recently been translated into three different languages, so it's now available all over the place. And my next book, um, The Ultimate Self-Esteem Toolkit, comes out in March. And if you'd like to learn any more of my uh, time management tips, my uh, podcast is called The Motivation Mindset, and Deanna, you will be on it Soon. I'm so excited we can continue this. It'll be part two of the conversation and you can tell me your take on your minimalist approach to things.
0: I love it. Yes. So um, yeah, we'll definitely link to all of those in the show notes so people can find them. Um, But my favorite way to end every episode is with three rapid fire questions. And so the first one is what does minimalism mean to you?
1: Minimalism to me links back to time. Like I said in the beginning, we only have so much time and we only have so much mental energy. What do you want to spend it on? And it's just about getting really intentional and clear every single day. What do I want to spend my time doing? What do I want to fill my time up with? And that'll, that approach will trickle down into what you want to buy and what you bring into your home, as well as. Relationships and commitments and tasks you have to do, so it's just looking through the lens of time and thinking that it's it's limited, you know, which can be freeing in a way because it makes you get really focused on what's important to you and what you value. Hmm, so true.
0: Um, okay, the number two. What is one of your favorite pieces of advice that you'd like to share that maybe we didn't get to today? You already shared so much, so sorry. I feel like I'm putting you on the spot with this one.
1: I think. A lot of the things I teach go back to talk to yourself like you're your own friend. Talk to yourself like you talk to your kids or your dog or a beloved pet. Stop beating yourself up so much, you know, stop talking to yourself in such a harsh way and give yourself more credit for all the little things you're doing, especially as a mom. All the millions of little things you're doing each day deserve as much attention as, you know, all the big things too, because it all adds up in the end. Yeah. Hmm. <laughs>
0: um, all right. And the third one, what is making you happy right now or in this season of your life?
1: Well, it's all kind of related because I'm learning more as I get older to really look for the tiny moments throughout the day. I used to have this feeling like happiness was the state you're gonna reach that. Once you reach it, you're just there. And now I know that's not true. Emotions come and go all day long. And we're experiencing these tiny blips of happiness each day. And sometimes they just need our focus and attention because they're not exactly what we think they are. Like you just being calm in the moment with the, your pet cat on your lap, that could be happiness. It's just learning to label those little moments. Or like walking your kid home from school and everyone's in a good mood and you're looking up at the clouds and the sky. Those are the little moments I'm teaching myself to zoom in and more on and really like savor them and, you know, go into them more and kind of think about them more throughout the day. Because as humans, unfortunately, we have a tendency to zoom in on the negative more than the positive. So the more little tiny moments you can catch, the better, I think, overall.
0: Well, perfect way to end the show. I So good. And I love it. Um, <laughs> Risa, thank you so much for joining us. I know this is going to be a big hit. And I really appreciate you uh, just sharing everything uh, you did with us today. Thank you.
1: Thank you so much. And thanks for having me. I appreciate it as well. What do you think? I could have
0: chatted with her all day. And as she mentioned, I am heading over to her show in the next few weeks. So you'll have to check it out for part two. But now it is your turn. I'd love to hear your thoughts on the episode. What were some of your favorite parts? Did you have any big takeaways? Come on over to the Wannabe Minimalist Family Group on Facebook and share. Sharing what you've learned helps you retain it and thus it helps you put it into practice much easier. And thanks again to Risa for joining us on the show today and for sharing so many nuggets of wisdom. Remember, she has some awesome resources available to you. So head on over to wannabeclutterfree.com 130. Again, that's wannabeclutterfree.com forward slash the number 130 to find out more about Risa. And as always, thank you for joining me too. If you made it this far, just a reminder that I would be thrilled if you left me a review on Apple Podcast. It will only take you a minute. So thank you so much for helping me out. And with that, I hope you have a fabulous day and I'll see you back here next week for a solo show. I'm going to be talking about the five problems with decluttering. It'll surprise you. So make sure you join me. I'm Deanna Yates, and you've been listening to Wannabe Minimalist. Cheers.
5: Oh, hey, everybody. It's us, Blair and Molly, your old pals from Toddler Purgatory, two moms who are also actors who are also creative beings